Hi, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. Um, and I am looking at my good friend Jace Hunt on screen as normal, but it's it's not normal, is it, Jace? Because it's the morning. I know, it's it's horrible, mate. I don't, I don't like recording podcasts in the morning. Half, no, half no. nine start. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm used to your room slowly getting darker as the podcast goes on. Not lighter. Uh, not lighter. <laughs> Uh, so this is all this is all wrong on so many levels. But we've actually we've done we've actually recorded uh, the next episode, um, and our guest has just left. So we're recording the intro after the after the event, um, you know. And it's only half eleven now, and we've actually we've we've finished. I know, got a whole day ahead of us. What are we going to do? Uh, well, we're going to try and plan. Uh, later today, some activities over what would have been the Guitar Show weekend. So that's the 27th, 28th of Feb. Um, got lots of interesting stuff um, kicking around at the moment. Got quite a, quite a few social media posts. Uh, Focusrite, our sponsors, our lovely sponsors of this podcast. Oh, we love the guys at Focusrite. <laughs> Particularly because they don't mind if we take the piss out. Yeah, this, this is very true. And um, they, they allow us to take the piss, and they've given us some competition prizes as well. They have. To give away over the Guitar Show weekend. So I'm just waiting for the full details of that before I announce what that's going to be, but it sounds pretty good. Um, uh, got a chat uh, with a couple of uh, amp manufacturers this afternoon as well to talk about what they're going to do over the Guitar Show weekend. Uh, and I've got a ton of videos, uh, all the way from the big brands to the luthiers that uh, I'm going to use to promote the not the guitar show weekend. Mm. And 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 are we going to say what we're planning? Are we going to leave it? What do you want to do? Do you want to tease it a bit? Well, I, I, my original plan was to just sort of like you know mark the weekend that I can't do the show by getting a load of uh, footage um, off my exhibitors from last year's event uh, and stick that up on social media and just kind of go, you know, uh, here, here's a load of guitar-related stuff. And then it's kind of spiralled a little bit. Um, so we've teamed up with Fair Deal, who are the one of the retail sponsors, and they're looking at getting some deals for some um, discounted gear over that weekend. Uh, and then... We're talking about uh, going live. Um, we are <laughs> not swap we shop. Are. We're going live. Uh, <laughs> um, well, well, I think it'll be like Saturday swap <laughs> shop for those who remember. Um, we've 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 got this plan, haven't we, for for maybe maybe the Friday and the Saturday night over the weekend to maybe yeah do a bit of a live broadcast. Yeah, and you know we we're trying to do it via um, Facebook uh, video. Uh, but it should be quite good. So we've got a meeting. We've got a planning meeting for that later, haven't we? We have. We have. Which which sounds far more impressive than it probably will be. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll spend an hour talking about uh, Keith Scott, and yeah. and then then an hour talking about Keith Richards, and then go. Oh God, we've got this idea. <laughs> <laughs> we meant to do this. Yeah. Oh. But anyway, uh, so that's that's to come. So that more information will will come out. But it might now be a live event. It might not be. It might not be sort of a remembrance event. It might actually have 
Yeah. You know, yeah, proper proper live people talking and saying things and maybe maybe even guests dropping in. Yeah, that's the plan. And uh mm. and we've got a special podcast to go out that as uh, with Misha Mansour, haven't we? We have. Yes, I'm glad you said his name because I couldn't say it. I couldn't say it on the podcast recording. <laughs> Mental block with his name for some reason. So, uh, yeah, so that's it. And um, and, and now um, here comes Tim from Bare Knuckle. Yes, yeah, we've been chatting to Tim Mills from Bare Knuckle Pickups, haven't we? We have. I, uh, I've known Tim for, God, I don't know, I suppose 15 years now or something. Um, I, when I look back now to the, the first event he did with me, which would have been Music Live at the NEC, his company must have been so young at the time, mm. but I do remember the impact that he had. Uh, I, you know, I remember quite a few of my mates being completely obsessed with getting war pigs um, for their guitars. Um, but it was a really nice chat. It was really nice to catch up with him. Um, mm. You know, and good to hear that uh, despite the pandemic, he's been doing incredibly well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we covered that. So that's that's kind of where we start. But it's a, it's a really great. It's a really great. Um, story actually I found him really I mean I met him for the first time this morning and I found him so engaging and so interesting and a real refreshing take on how he went about setting up his business and what the kind of ethos behind what he does particularly the go-to-market ethos which I think is really really um, you know really clever and really refreshing Mm. so uh, so without any further ado uh, Ron Ron um, we'll we'll get on with that, shall we? And uh, the next voice you will hear, well, it'll be us, but it'll also be Tim Mills from Bare Knuckle. Morning, Tim. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> Tim is laughing slightly because that was meant to sound like a big start, but actually we've been chatting for half an hour uh, and we've just gone through our slight rehearsal because, as Jason rightly pointed out, I'm 15 minutes late this morning and I apologise. But then that's because we're recording in the morning. This is a new thing for us. I know. I don't think I've ever recorded quite so early in the day. No, no. <laughs> Well, I should, just, I should just point out I've got very young kids, so night time doesn't exist for me or late in the day. I like to get everything done early. So are you a morning person, Tim? Are you, are yeah, you I am. up and yeah, about I anyway? Am. Yeah, I'm normally up at six and you know, I like to get be up and doing whilst it's quiet, you know. Because so. you were just telling us before we started about your hugely impressive uh, exercise and fitness regime. <laughs> Uh, being being a man who's older than both of us and looks younger than us both by at least five years, um, so that's is is exercise a morning thing as well for you, or does that? Uh, yeah, I'll normally uh, bash that out before work, but I also train every lunchtime as well. So, um, blimey, bloody hell, he's a machine. I know. I've, I've written down that his um, Instagram feed is 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 a combination of guitars, dogs. Exercise and coffee, yeah, seemingly. That's me. That is me in a nutshell. <laughs> caffeine, caffeine fuel, and I love to lift heavy things. Walk big dogs and play lots of guitar. Walk the dogs on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like spending time down the beach. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big sea person. I love I love swimming too. So uh, yeah, yeah, all of those things. Well, we recorded with uh, Misha last week. Oh yeah, week. yeah. Um, and he says you owe him a good 10 minutes of talking about how amazing he is because he did that about you. Oh, did he? Um, yeah. The weird thing is, though, that this one will go out before Misha's. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, but he, he kind of uh, agreed with me that your feed was essentially just the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. 
social media is, is one of those it's one of those marmite things isn't it really and um i try not to uh, get too sucked into it for me i i think social media should just be fun and positive stuff you know i get really ha- hacked off with you know too much um i don't know just people just trying to drill down and, and grind you down through social media so if I post anything at all, I just want it to be something that makes people feel better, you know. And if that's a nice picture of the beach, it's just... And also, it's just the sort of where I am in time, I suppose. And uh, if it's anything I think is vaguely funny or just vaguely nice, you know. So that, that's all I tend to use it for. I, and and um, I, the, this isn't the first question, but actually your, your social media... I've never seen so many guitars... And yeah. so many luthier-built guitars. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, there's, again, there's a reason for that. One, I'm in a job which obviously involves guitars. So, you know, I'm always uh, having to reference and work with different types of guitars, um, just from all the different types of pickups that we produce. Also, I'm of an age where, you know, I've collected quite a lot of guitars over the years, and I'm a sod for never getting rid of things. I, I, I can count one hand the amount of guitars I've sold. You know, I just, I, I just find it very hard to let go of things because, um, you know, they all have got a story to them. And, and lastly, I like to support a lot of the people that we work with. You know, and mm. I get to see some really interesting stuff. And, um, you know, if, if people are investing their time and money with my company. I'll try to reflect that and, uh, you know, I'll buy something from back, you know, obviously I've got to like it, you know, but um, yeah. And so I've sort of steadily built up quite a diverse and interesting collection of guitars. Yeah. So which one, um, the one that I kind of always associate with you and I can't remember which make it is, Mm. it's kind of like it's strat shaped Mm. upside down headstock. Mm -hmm. That's the one I kind of see the most. Which one's that? That well, that that's a Lux tone. It's a it's a black kind of super strat with a, a checkerboard sort of mm. thing across the back corner, and um, yeah, that that that's one I play a lot with, with a band. But probably, you know, the, I'm sort of synonymous with this beat up old blonde telly that I've had for <laughs> had for years, and that that's the one that's normally glued to me. You know, it's uh, I take that one everywhere. You know, it's it's been all the way around the world umpteen times. <laughs> even if <laughs> even if I have to make a little trip, that one always comes. And uh, you know, so that that's always been a go to. But but that strat you're talking about, yeah, is a Lux tone I've had for several years now. And in the band that I've done most recently, that's sort of one of the main fiddles, I suppose. That I tend to play. So is that Riders to Ruin? Yeah, Riders to Ruin. Yeah. Yeah, just a kind of rock and roll thing that I do with one of the guys at work here, Rob. He's the singer, and um, got a couple of other friends that are a part of it. It's... How's that been this year? Have you managed to nope. actually rehearse? Or... No, I haven't done diddly squat. Um, you know, the, the pandemic obviously thrown a quite a big curveball at everybody. So when it first hit, I suppose last March. Um, the priority really was, yeah, what do we do with the business? And mm. obviously, there was a lot of uh, 
I suppose, a, a lot of kind of fear being instilled in everybody by the government. And, you know, dear old Bojo told us on whatever it was, March 27th, we all had to lock down. And so we had a staff meeting the next day and it was very much a case of, right, OK, well, they kind of have given us tools to run for the hills if we want to. Mm. But I said, you know, stepping back from it and being realistic, we seem to have very low infection rates down here in Cornwall and manufacturing doesn't have to close. So I'm going to stay, you know, Um, I'm not shutting the doors here because my gut feeling is if I shut the doors, I don't know how easy it's going to be to, to restart this. You know, it's taken me so long to get this company where it is. I can't just mothball it. So I said, you know, if anybody wants to stay, that's cool. But I appreciate everybody's probably a bit uneasy, wants to be with their families, etc. You know, so um, anybody wants, whoever wants to go can go, who wants to stay can stay. And five of the lads stayed. So we dropped from 18, 19 of us down to just the six. And, um, and we kept it going. So the focus there was on what can six of us do, you know. Mm. And uh, it was pretty intense time. And the building is big enough that we barely saw each other anyway. We were all working in separate parts of the building, but we kept it going. And um, that was the priority. So things like the band and music, everything had to just be parked to one side. So, uh, but But we got through it and quickly started bringing the lads back in um, because one of the things that happened was word got round that we were still in business, whereas a lot of the other pickup manufacturers, particularly American ones, had been forced to close. Yeah, you know, They weren't allowed to keep going. So we had a lot of companies coming to us saying, uh, we've got 400 guitars on a production line and no pickups. Help. <laughs> and uh, so we had to step in and... Um, and sort of help a lot of people out, which was good. So, you know, there, there was a bit of a positive side to it. Uh, a lot of hard work, but but some positive things to come out of it as well. And you were saying that, I'm assuming that everybody that didn't didn't feel comfortable, they went on furlough. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. We were able to, I mean, I, I, I tried to be as objective as I could about it. We had one or two whose partners were key workers or what have you. Mm. So given that we didn't really know much about infection or anything, it seemed logical that if they were going to be in more contact with people, there was a higher chance of infection getting in through that yeah. route. So they were logical to go on furlough. We had one or two that, you know, with various health issues, that was safer that they were protected. And then it came down to this core where we thought, well, actually, you know, all the, uh, of us that are left have no contact with anybody else. So other than being part of this bubble at work, we're actually going to be reasonably safe. Safe. And so we we quickly made the place COVID secure, came up with a one-way system, uh, uh, like a barrier where any deliveries had to literally be dropped and then we could drag them into a quarantine area, disinfect it. You know, again, we didn't know what we're up against, so we just went completely overkill. And um, and it worked. Touch wood, nobody got ill, and um, yeah. and we kept going. And then we steadily brought people back in, uh, 
you know, as quickly as we could as restrictions were lifted and as we were getting bloody knackered, basically, you know, the six of us were just being ground into the floor. You know, um, we had a, we had a thing where every Friday I'd just go out and buy the biggest box of beer I could find. And I'd make sure everybody had a couple of bottles of beer and we opened a, a little sort of group chat for the, for the COVID boys. <laughs> and, you know, I said, I want to make sure that you're all sat drinking a beer. I need to know that you're doing something else other than grinding in here. That I want to see everybody just chilling the fuck out. You know, if it's just yeah. half hour, you know, whatever. And then we'll be back in first thing and keep going again. And, uh, because the thing is, I mean, right at the beginning, we 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 got very. Everybody was very concerned about things you touched. Yeah, it became about disinfecting everything, and mm. and actually, I think what we've probably learned to a certain extent is that that transmit aerosol transmission seems to be more prevalent mm. than 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 surface transmission, depending on the surface, obviously. Yeah. So, um, so if you were working, you know, in such remote spaces, it probably was a remarkably safe environment. Exactly. Exactly, and. Um, we had a routine of one of the team would disinfect through the building three times a day. Mm. So handrails, doors, we're propping open all the doors. We had a rule that you had to use your knees and your elbows. Mm. You know, we just literally went completely overkill. Um, the, the communal areas like the toilets or the kitchen, one in, one out, you know, mm. you, you clean your way in, you clean your way out. You know, it was this... It was just the best we could do, and and it seemed to work. And we still we still like it now, even with those eighteen of us back in. There's still a one way system. You, you know, if you meet on the stairs, whoever's coming down has to go back up and wait. You know, for the other to come past. It's a quite big, airy building. I mean, I've got an office. There's a sales office downstairs. There's a production office next door, but the lads work on a big open plan um, mezzanine by and large. And then there are, obviously, there's a suction vent system for all the solder stations. So the airflow is really good. You're actually yeah, having yeah. all your air sucked away from you anyway. Yeah. And then we've got a massive roller shutter, which, <laughs> which is where all the packing goes in and out. So there's a lot of fresh air in here as well. Mm. And um, every break time, the lads all go outside and sort of spread out in the car park. And just, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's as sensible as we can make it. And mm-hmm. thankfully, the infection rates in Cornwall are dropping like a stone now. So it seems to be getting better every day. Good. So so um, as someone that has had to mothball their mm. business and, you know, um, you know, I had the same fear of, you know, what happens when I get to restart. Mm. How, how, has, how has business been with the continuing going? Well, it, it's been good. I won't lie. You know, online sales particularly through the the first lockdown. The first couple of weeks were awful because nobody seemed to know what was going on and Mm. sales pulled right back. And all of a sudden, it was like it was Christmas. I think people found themselves at home. They weren't spending money on things like cars or food or booze or whatever. And yet money was still coming through reasonably well and people just started spending and um, and like I said, we started picking up a lot of extra work from companies um, that, that are committed to manufacturers and were unable to supply. 
So it was becoming almost a weekly occurrence. We were getting a big manufacturer phoning up saying, help, <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll fill the breach. All I'm going to say is when this is over, just remember who helped you. And yeah. by and large, they've all been good as gold and come straight back and going, you know what? Pickup sounded bloody amazing. Don't know why we weren't using you before. We've got new line of guitars coming out. We want to, to use you guys moving forward. So it's been really, really positive. You know, so the hard work paid off. But I remember at one point we were pretty much breaking our backs here. And I think uh, I had the guys from Eastman Guitars in a right pickle. They wanted 400 sets <laughs> within about two weeks. And I had to go out onto the landing and say to the guys, just going to have to squeeze out another 400. They're like, 400 what? I said, sets of humbuckers. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus, wet. It's like, don't worry, we can do it. <laughs> and, we, and we did. And we hit the deadline. They were pleased, and now they've come back with a year's worth of production for us, you know, wow. which has been fantastic. So, um, so that worked really, so, really well. They were Duncans, weren't they? They were they antiquities in in the Eastman. They stuff? they were a mixture. They were there were some of those, and uh, they were using a lot of Lola stuff as yeah. well. Um, but I think Jason was forced to close, like mm. you know. Um, and I was speaking with Tom Jones at TV Jones, you know, I think all that on the American side, they're all, the only thing they were allowed to sell was anything that they had in stock. Mm-hmm. So right. of course, once the stocks had gone, which has mm-hmm. happened very quickly, they were down to selling B stock, They were, but they weren't allowed to make anything. So uh, we always have a very good stock holding of components because we make our own parts. So we're not reliant on bringing stuff in from China or Korea yeah, we make everything. Um, all our plastics come from Torquay. Uh, we have all our metal work come from Kent. I, I learned very early on, keep your supply lines really close. Own your own tooling. Then you're never beholden to anybody else. Um, yeah. The only thing that we have to buy in are wire and magnets. And, uh, you know, all the magnet foundries are in China now, despite what anybody will have you believe that they exist elsewhere they're not they all they're all in china it's a particularly dirty sort of business and uh, the chinese do it better than anybody else and um so our magnets come from china but you know we normally have at least 12 months stock so i knew i was in a very strong position at the start of lockdown i could keep going you know without opening the door <laughs> you know yeah. I could just keep going and um and that that really worked to our uh, work to our uh, strengths so um, work to our favours so yeah somebody like Eastman coming in needing 400 sets yes no problem we've just got to literally physically do the man hours to get that out we've got all the stuff here to do it mm. whereas a, a, a lot of the smaller makers were quickly running out of parts because of course they're sourcing them from overseas and a lot of those places were shut so one, yeah. once once that filtered through after a while everybody was running out of stuff so we were we were fine so yeah it worked well and it put us in a good position moving forward so uh, I suppose that's amazing that Go probably on, made you fairly brexit safe as well then to an extent i mean yeah brexit has presented its own problems uh you obviously read on the news about the matter red tape we're all having to jump through yeah. but um our biggest market is america um europe makes up you know, a considerably smaller part. So it, in my battle, in my mind, the, the, 
the battle game would have been, right, if we can't get product into Europe, I'll swing all that attention to the rest of the world and look for other markets that I can get in and out of. But because we're used to dealing with America and essentially we're now having to deal with Europe in the same way. Same way. Mm. It, it, was, it wasn't a big shift for us. No. Um, Royal Mail, thankfully, very much had their act together with the country of origin stuff. The couriers, despite telling everybody their new computer systems and this, that and the other in place, didn't. Um, and they've been slower. But by and large, things seem to be going through OK for us. We've had a few little hiccups, the usual sort of things like obviously if people have bought product in December, let's say the last week of December, they'd have been charged VAT, delivered in first week of January. Of course, country of origins then slapping VAT on as well. Yeah. So they're getting mm. double. So we've had a few little things like that to sort out. But, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't huge. Um, so, yeah, by and large, it hasn't been too bad thus far, you know. Uh, we should wait to see how how that one unfolds. I don't, I don't know if it's going to. I don't know if it's going to get any worse. I, I think probably. I think if you were if you were struggling, you'd probably be struggling. I would have thought. Now I, you know, it it it, it really depends if anything flares up. You know, I mean, we're seeing what's happening with the fisheries. It's all getting tit for tat already. Yeah. You know, and if that boils over into anything else, that that's the concern really. Because all the EU has to do is to put a stipulation in for country of origin. And that could really stymie what we're doing. I mean, mm. you're seeing all the fresh produce people having to produce veterinary certificates, all sorts of things, which you just can't do with fresh produce. Uh, fortunately, you know, we seem to be within the country of origin rules. And so we can ship also our order value for direct retail sales is relatively low. Yep. You know, mm. a retail customer will spend be spending within the several hundred pounds bracket. So we're not yep. talking about huge amounts of uh, VAT or huge amounts of duty if it is getting caught anywhere. Um, and touch wood, thus far, it, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, obviously, we're selling to European um, guitar makers or music stores that's a little bit harder and a little bit more of a challenge but you know we're working through it well i suppose we ought to go right back to the yeah, beginning sure um yeah. so so how how did it all come about what puts you in that chair okay so jason mentioned elkie brooks earlier i suppose um, that's a good enough starting point. Um, when I was 28, I landed the gig of playing guitar for Elkie Brooks. And um, that that came about because I was working in living and working in North Devon. I was teaching music for a living, playing in a rock band and, um, you know, teaching music uh, to sort of put food on the table, really and strings on my guitar. Um, <laughs> by happen chance, I got a phone call from Elkie one day wanting me to teach her oldest boy guitar, um, Jay. So obviously I jumped at it. You know, I knew her. You, you'd see her around, you know, um, say hello sort of thing. And um, so I went round to the house, got on okay. 
and uh, you know she sort of insisted on interviewing me before she let let me sort of <laughs> get stuck in teaching. But anyway, I got on well with Jay, and after I don't know, it must have been about four or five months, she she just as I was leaving one day, she said, "Next week, would you mind sort of putting some guitar down in the studio for us for a for a track?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, it's no problem." And it turned out <coughs> there was a little EP that she wanted me to put some guitar on. It was easier than getting her guitar player all the way down from London. And it kind of started like that, really. So I bashed out that EP. And then um, at, when we finished, her husband said to her, you know, we should really get Tim in the band. And I was like, oh, wow, that'd be cool. But didn't really think any more of it. And um, about a year later... Uh, they asked me to do an album with them, which I duly did. And they said, we'd like you to go on tour supporting the album. So I was like, great, okay. Again, nothing seemed to happen much for a couple of months after that. So I kind of put it out of my mind and thought, well, it probably won't happen. You know, probably, mm. you know, it's one of those things they're probably still going to use their, their old guitar player. Anyway, this cassette came through Letterbox with a handwritten note from Elkie, learn this lot, see you in two weeks. And this is back in the day where we still did cassettes, you see. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and there was 24 songs on it. I thought, oh shit, this is going to happen then. And um, so uh, I fortnight to learn these songs. And then I was in a production rehearsal with, uh, with Elkie. And it was all a little bit embarrassing because the rock band I played with, out of the blue, landed a massive support slot at Shepherd's Bush Empire, the day production rehearsals were supposed to start. And I was desperate to do this gig. And so I thought, I'm going to just chance my neck. So I went around and saw her and said, look, is there any way you'll let me do this gig? Mm. And she said, how important is it to you? I said, just really important. I said, look, if I do this one, you've got me then for the next couple of months. So she said, right, you go do that gig. She said, you own it. She said, but, the next morning, you're going to be in rehearsal at nine o'clock sharp. And so I drove all the way up to London, did the gig, got straight in the car, put her cassette back in again, <laughs> drove all the way home through the night and uh, was in rehearsal for nine o'clock the next day. And she held up rehearsals by one day, which was quite a thing, considering all the other musos, musos and stuff were there. And uh, that's how that started couple of weeks of production rehearsal and I was off on tour with her. And um, so where was that? Nine, that was early 90s. So I spent most of the 90s recording and touring with Elkie, which is, which is great fun. Um, come sort of 2000, I, by this time my first son had, was born and I was struggling a little bit with being on the road quite so much because it could mm. be cumulatively anything up to six months of a year. You know, if you added up all the small little tours we'd do, a lot of the corporate stuff we're doing, as well as the big tours. So normally do at least one two-month stretch, you know, plus a lot of additional work. And um, I remember looking out one night, um, my, my son was at, at this show it was a reasonably local show and uh 
he was on the the follow spot gantry and back then you know the bus drivers or lorry drivers would often do the follow spot earn a couple extra quid and this guy friend of mine called matt and we were playing and i suddenly saw this mag light come on by the follow spot and he's holding it over my son's head and i saw him pull him (laughs) pull himself up on matt's legs and that i was sort of playing and i was sort of looking at this and i was i was just like you know i'm not sure i i want him to grow up like that you Mm. know with this distance between us almost it's like an audience Mm. between us and uh so i kind of i called it a day after that tour and uh and I, I just sort of went back to teaching music, and by this time I was involved in martial arts. So um, I was I was teaching uh, music and and uh, a martial art called hapkido for a living, and that that went on for a couple of years. And I sort of convinced myself that you know I was quite happy doing that. I didn't need to be on the road, and you know I was quite happy just playing guitar like that and having a family and so on and so forth. Anyway, I got a phone call from a friend of mine from Birmingham who was doing a a tribute band. And he said, look, our guitar players just let us down on this really, really big gig. Would you step in and do it? And I said, what is it? He said, it's an Ozzy Osbourne tribute. And I was like, oh. I see, I went to see you at JV's in Dudley. And I was like, like, Jesus wept. I was like okay, how long's the set? He said, it's an hour and a half. So I said, all right, send me a, a disc or whatever, what it is, and I'll see if I can learn it. So he sent this through, and I kind of knew a lot of it, but not as well as I thought I knew it. So I had to sort of tighten it all up. So I whizzed up, did a rehearsal with these guys, and then next thing I knew, I was on on stage at JB's and it was virtually a packed room. I, 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 mm. I wasn't kind of expecting it. I, for some reason, I just thought it was going to be like a, a small local band thing. And it was absolutely bloody nuts. And these guys were, had, were blowing up more pyrotechnic than you could shake a stick at. And I had absolute laugh, ab- absolute wheeze doing it. Anyway, afterwards, they asked if I'd, sort of join and do it full time because they'll get so much hassle with this other guy constantly letting them down and so I did and so next thing I of course I was back to going up the road every weekend doing shows with these guys and it was at that time that I started messing around with pickups so it's a very long-winded story this but it all makes sense so <laughs> there I am having done best part of 10 years with Elkie I'm now back to playing Les Pauls again and um, having to cover the sounds of quite a few different guitar players through Ozzy's career. There's all the Iommi stuff, there's the Randy Rhodes stuff, there's the Jakey Lee stuff, the Zach Wild stuff. And the sounds are all quite different. And uh, mm. I, I was sort of trying to find a common thread through it all and a common approach. And I sort of decided that the Zach Wild approach was the easiest. And he'd done this kind of best job of sort of pulling it all together. And so I was playing EMG loaded Les Pauls, pair of uh, JCM 800 stacks, Boss Super Overdrive pedal on the floor, wah wah, Rotor Vibe, all the stuff that he was using. It was great. But 
I started messing around with different pickups, just seeing if I could find a different way of doing it because I was finding the EMGs were very, very compressed. And it was great, very flattering for your picking and stuff and certainly nailed his sound. But I, w- I wasn't getting the older sort of sounds that I wanted. Mm. And so I started buying up pickups and pulling guitars apart. And um, that was the start of really learning about pickups. You know, I sat in my little... Uh, studio back at home the guitars all over the floor in various states of pickups being pulled out and I was recording them all and I was getting more and more frustrated at sort of reading descriptions of a pickup thinking right that that's going to do it putting it in and it just wasn't I was like well that's nothing like it says and then I was sort of discovering that a lot of the descriptions of pickups are so generic it could really be anything you know, it's yeah. like standing back from it going, hang on a minute, that, that, and that is almost the same thing, but the actual specs of the pickups are vastly different. And it was that that really started me off thinking, well, you know, if somebody could actually rationalise this, I reckon there's some room here to actually produce some pickups that will actually do what they say. If I can actually find a way of making mm. the pickup that does the sound that I can go, this will do that. People would have the confidence to buy it. And that's and that's kind of where the germ of the idea started. I thought, well, maybe I do th- three, maybe four pickups that cover, you know, the kind of vintage, vintage hot and the sort of medium and high output sort of levels. If I can get those bang on, I reckon I've this could have legs. And the idea of for the name, obviously came from the martial arts side of it. I was desperately sort of trying to know what do I what do I call this? I need some sort of something to go with it. And I was looking around my music room, and um, and uh, I was looking at the logos on various things, and I was going, it need you know it needs to be something reasonably simple, but that also kind of exudes some sort of heritage to it. And I was like, right, play guitar your hands, martial arts, fighting, it's hands, it's hands. I kept coming back to my hands the whole time. Mm. And then some, you know, the idea was like knuckle duster. I was like, oh, no, that's, a sort of, that, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's something you wallop somebody with. That's not necessarily your bare hands. And I'm like, hang on, bare hands, bare hands, bare knuckle. That was the old form of the of boxing it used to be bare yeah. knuckle fighting all of a sudden it all fell into place you know i was like yeah the the boxing sash it was sort of kind of back when britain was a big manufacturing nation and i thought there's my heritage that's what i yeah. want it to be you know it's I, I felt like i wanted to sort of kind of take on the american giant in the music industry where unless it says made in the USA, it's not really any good. And I thought we were always the country that produced the best stuff. So let's have a go at doing that. And found my boxer, Jimmy Carroll, the image logo looking around. I thought, hang on Marshall. And I'm looking at Marshall right now, but that's not a logo. That's just a script. It doesn't need to be sort of something angular and sort of weird dots. I just need to find the right font. And so I went with that. And that kind of tied in with the boxer. 
and put together a website and and that's how I started really and I had a winder in the corner of my music room and a wax pot and um, all my kit just in that corner and I started from there and shortly after that I moved house and moved to the the out outbuilding which is an old coal shed but but, but I sort of decked <laughs> it out and I could just about fit in there with one other person the computer and the phone and my winder and a couple of wax pots <laughs> and I spent a year in there making pickups before we then moved down to Cornwall where I've got my first bigger workshop which was a big sort of wooden building out in the corner of the garden and uh, Bare Knuckle existed there for hmm, well, at least 10 years, sort of adding on various bits to this sort of, <laughs> this wooden building. It was almost like a shanty town by the time we finished it. And, uh, you know, and then we moved from there pretty much via a, a small farm that we rented for a, an interim year whilst we're waiting for this to be built. And then we ended up here. So that that was the sort of evolution of the business. But it was really through my own curiosity and and also the fact that I was looking at it from a guitar playing point of view. I was trying to look at what was frustrating me about pickups at, at that time. You know, and there was lots of great pickups around, but they all just seemed to be presented in the wrong way. You know. Oh, I completely agree. I I, I mean, it must be 25 years ago. I'd um, I'd got a, an Epiphone dot, and uh, the dot was fine. The pickups were awful. Bridge was awful. So I ended up getting Graftech uh, saddles put on it because it broke a string every other day, sort of thing. And uh, and I took it along to a guy that I use in Birmingham, Joe, and said, "I need new pickups. These pickups are dead." And he said, well, "Any idea?" And I was like, "No." And he gave me. Um, I think it was a Duncan catalogue that was the size of thickness of a mm. book with descriptions that, like you say, were just so generic. Yeah. yeah. At the end of it, I was like, I, he gave it to me, he went, read this, come back and tell me what pickups you want. And I took it on holiday. It was so yeah. big. I sat on a sunbed reading this thing. And, and I sort of marked probably about 20 different pickups of what I want. And I got back, and he and I was like, honestly, Joe, I have no idea what I want. This is so confusing. And he went, what type of music do you play? Mm. And I went, it's kind of like the Rolling Stones. And he went, all right, we'll put a 59 yeah. and a JB in then. And it was like, it, uh, it was just a nightmare. Yeah. And the, the other thing I noticed was that some of the manufacturers were just using sort of weird numbers and things for the pickups. And I was like, what does that mean? That's not telling me yeah. anything about it at all. And I thought, if I can name the pickups that will at least give you some sort of, in, in your mind's ear, put you in a ballpark of where that sound is, that's a good start. Yeah. Mm. And then if I can describe it in a way that just makes sense, you know, not use generic terms, and really get behind the applications and the suitability of it, then I can start putting people with the right pickups. You know, I've always said that there's no such, no such thing as a shit pickup. You know, all pickups will make a, a great sound. 
you just got to put the right one with the right player. So, you know, mm. if you go and give a like, high-gain ceramic pickup to a jazz player, he's not going to be satisfied. He's going to have a really compressed tone with no mid-range in it, and he'll really, really struggle. And he'll say, that's a shit pickup. Well, it's not, because if we give it to this metal dude over here, he's going to be in absolute heaven with that, and it's going yeah. to do exactly what he wants. And so it's about marrying things up. So... I invested a lot of time initially in talking with my customers, you know, um, just trying to get inside their playing, you know, tell me about how you play. Tell me about how you really play. We always had this sort of in joke of sort of, well, you know, I play, you know, I play a technical metal and jazz. Well, hang on a minute. That's two totally different genres. (laughs) Which is it? Are you a jazz musician or are you, you know, And you have to get inside what people actually mean. What they're really getting at is a requirement for clean ambient tones. And that's different to playing jazz. Jazz is, you know, a very specific um, genre of music and you need to approach it totally differently than you would to a technical rock or metal player. Mm. And it's about finding out what people really do play and what they really want from the instrument. And then you need to know about the instrument, you know, quite detailed things about the instrument and their rig as well. You know, what's the rest of the signal chain? Let's let's have the whole story and then let's try and get you with the right pickup, you know. And, um, and, that, and that really did work, you know, spending all that time. That's something we still do today. You know, myself, I've got uh, Ben and Tim downstairs as well. Uh, so through social media, messaging, emails are golden, direct contact on the phone. We all say, look, just talk to us. We'd rather talk, mm. find out. Don't don't just look at the website and think, oh, cracky, there's a lot of information. I'm still not sure. Get in touch with us. Um, the lads even have a shift pattern for manage, manning our live chat to try to keep it as 24 hours as possible so that you can always get hold of one of us and you know, talk through, get the right pickup. I suppose it's a difficulty, isn't it? If you're, if one of your biggest markets is the States. Yeah, it's the time delay. You know, people are, yeah, people are messing you at 3am in the morning. And uh... we still try to respond whether it's Saturdays, Saturday nights, Sundays, whatever. There's always one of us somewhere Mm. that you can get in touch with. You know, it's, um, I'm, I'm, last thing I do for a, I go to bed is I'm often going through, you know, direct messages and stuff, just making sure everybody's been taken care of. It's, it's really, really important, you know, and especially with the speed things happen these days because of the internet, you can't leave somebody for two or three days and go, I'll get back to them. Don't worry. No, they need that answer quickly because right at that moment in time, they are desperate for something to give them the lift an inspiration to keep going with their musical instrument and you've got to drill into that straight away mm. and help them out and and try to give them something because they make them go bloody hell i haven't put my guitar down for hours now and it's like great that's exactly what we wanted because now you're making music again you're reconnected with your instrument you're away and that's mm. and that's as big a part of what we do as about producing specific tones We went through the cycle of 
where you started mm. and the, very much the production side of it and how it started from a small corner of a room up mm. to where you are now. I, I'm intrigued by um, how do you find those first customers? How, how does that big get right. out? Because, because, you know, we yeah. scale up through production. Yeah. But the other bit is, yeah. well, how the hell do you, do, do, how do you get the find... first person? Yeah. How does anybody yeah. even make a decision? Right. To... So, so what I did was I, I realized I, I needed to advertise. I thought, you know, if people don't know I'm out there, sales aren't just going to come in. You know, people aren't just going to, you, you, you might back Oh, we're talking about 2002, 2003. So, you know, web um, websites and web stores were still very much in their infancy back then. So you might get somebody that would just stumble across you and go, oh, right, okay, I'm going to take a chance on this and just buy a pickup from this guy. But I thought, I've got to get people coming to me. So I need to get my product reviewed and I need to advertise to back it up. And... I also need to come in bigger than a startup. I thought I've got to I've got to match the big boys and come in at their level straight away. Otherwise, I'm down at the bottom of the ladder and it's going to be a long old crawl all the way up. So mm. I priced myself at the top and what I did was I used I I used my my I registered for VAT straight away, and back then I think you can still do it now. You're allowed to use um, anything that you put through your business within the first. You can go back like three years and reclaim the VAT in your first quarter. So anything that I'd used starting up, all the R and D stuff I'd done, I reclaimed the VAT. Used that to fund my advertising. And so I started out taking quarter page ads, half page ads, wherever I could. And um, I decided to go in. I thought, well, I'm only going to get one shot at this, really. It's kind of like running into a room, a crowded room. You're going to get one chance of getting everybody's attention. And when you get everybody's attention, you've got to have something to say. Otherwise, mm. they'll just go back to talking to all the other people in the room and you've lost lost your chance. So I decided that I really needed to throw the gauntlet down. And so I laid out my adverts and I I just put this little strap line in that said, if putting a bare knuckle pickup into your guitar won't make you and your guitar sound better, nothing will. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. It, it's a do or die thing. You know, I thought I've got to, I've got to find out, has this got legs, you know, or, or am I wasting my time? Yeah. And I think it was so contentious that people were like, well, either this guy's completely stupid or he really <laughs> does believe and know what he's talking about. And luckily, it was the latter. And, and it, it just worked. And very soon after that, a couple of guitar magazines got in touch, a couple of interviews... And then I scored my first big review in Guitarist, got a decent gold award for a couple of products, and it just skyrocketed. And just like, damn, there we go. So that paid off, you know. It could have it could could have gone the other way. 
but it didn't so uh, yeah i think i, I think uh, you know there's um you only ever hear off the companies that have succeeded going that way but i think that you know when you start a business you have to take huge yeah, risks don't exactly. you exactly it, it 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 and for me i suppose i'm there's part of me that's a bit impatient i thought i just need to get this pain bit out the way i need to know <laughs> if people are going to buy in to this brand and the way that i'm doing it otherwise there's no point just you don't want to be pushing treacle up a hill you know it's um mm. if, if it's wrong i need to know now and then i can stop regroup and figure out a different way of doing it but i was so convinced the way that everything had stacked up and the way everything all the ideas have come so organically i thought I, I'm rolling along with this. I'm sure other people will as well. And they did. The, 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 the approach, the way I named things, the way I described things, the actual imagery, the, the fact that um, I based it all on the things that I obsessed about as a guitar player. So I felt I was coming from the same place as other guitar players. I wasn't trying to come at it at a really weird angle. I was like, yeah. I know what bothers you. It bothers me too. But and, and yeah. these are all the, the nice details that we all geek out about. Here it all is, and I can talk you through it all and what what each bit does, and we can all get excited about it, and we can hopefully all go off better guitar players in the end because we're going to spend more time playing, you know. And at the end of the day, whatever piece of equipment you, you buy, the fi- the thing that is going to make you sound better is you spending more time on it. You know, mm. if you don't ever pick up your guitar, it ain't going to sound any good, is it? <laughs> so you've got you've got to have that thing that makes you want to engage with the instrument. The more you engage, hey, I'm getting better at guitar. Well, what a surprise! You're practicing, but it has yeah. to be that. And uh, you know, I, I say to a lot of our artists when we do a, a signature product like Misha, for instance, you know, I said what we're really trying to do here, rather than make them sound like you is inspire them to pick up their instrument and make music. And if they do that, using you as a conduit, well, then we've done our job. We've, we're yeah. getting more people playing, more people playing for longer, they're becoming better players because they're doing it because we're taking, giving them confidence. We're saying, look, this is a product we've developed together. We think it's great. It does these range of sounds. You can put it in your guitar. You can just get going because it's the right thing for this type of music. Great, decision made. That's the worst bit. Nobody likes making a decision. If you can get them <laughs> over that bit, you know, you can say, look, don't worry, don't worry. Well, I've, I've thought this out. This one here, it's, it's going to do it for you. I'm 100%, and these are the reasons behind it. They're going to go, fantastic. Thank God for that. I don't have to worry. <laughs> so... You, you you build up your your business um, with uh, Joe Public yeah. buying products, and then I think was the first sort of endorsed product was that Steve Stevens. The actually the very first one was Jeff Whitehorn with the ah, crawler. Of course. Are we... Now and that and that was very much because we both played for Elkie. Um, he did the Elkie gig a couple of guitar players before me, so we kind of knew mm. each other anyway. And so I thought, yeah. right, well, that that's a logical step because Jeff's got, you know, an incredible, incredible musical heritage. He's, you know, he's, he always produces great tones, and I'd known him, you know, 
seen him at various guitar shows demonstrating over the years you know and he's one of these guys that can always do what he says he does he's a very tasteful player but he knows a lot about gear as well he's a big tinkerer Mm. as well and um so so that was a no-brainer and then i think within the same year i started getting orders come through the web shop bear in mind back in those days you know it was very hands-on i you know i'd literally log in every day see all these orders and i'd have a pdq machine and i'd literally process them or type up the order it was that manual like, type up this right <laughs> there's my order process it right now that's my job sheet into the workshop and start making it and um i was getting orders from this guy called steve stevens i thought it can't be the steve stevens because he wouldn't just write his name like that and I thought, maybe he would i don't know anyway um there was he, he'd used on one of the orders, he'd use some sort of weird card that I didn't process, a diner's card or something. And then I ended up having to phone him up and say, I'm sorry, but I can't get this one to work. And he's like, oh, no problem, I've got another card. And I thought, well, he's definitely American. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't really want to, to ask, hey, are you the Steve Stevens? You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. trying to play it cool a little bit. And about a week or so later, I got an email from him saying... You know, loving the pickups. I'm doing a gig in the UK next week. Would you like to come? I'd like to meet you. I was like, yeah, cool. Where, where's the gig? And he said, Sir Castle Donington, Monsters of Rock. And I was like, <laughs> you are the Steve Stevens. <laughs> and so I was like, damn, too right, I would. So I, I got in the car, drove all the way up, got this little artist pass, went into the artist village, and there was Steve just sat at a table. And we got on like house and fire, chatted and stuff. He said, like, I really want you to hear my live sound. He said, so when the gig starts, you come up the ramp with us and you just stand my side of the stage. And um, he said, I'll get my tech just to angle the back line in to you so you can hear it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, but I think there's probably about 70,000 people in front would probably like to hear it as well. He's like, don't worry, <laughs> you know, that's taken care of. So... Uh, so I went up and uh, met his tech after that, before the show started. And he said, I'll just tilt it in a little bit. He said, but it's going to be loud, I'm telling you, because he says Steve's old school. He likes plenty of volume coming out mm. of this. And then showtime came, and sure enough, Steve said, come on, you walk up with us. And I walked up the gangplank with them in through the curtains and uh, and then watched them play for about an hour and a half. And it was during that day that we discussed doing a signature pickup, seeing if we could sort of drill into it. And he was on the Devil's Playground tour then, that just started. And so throughout that year, we were sort of sending pickups back and forth. And whenever they flew into the UK, did a show, I'd drive up and see him and we'd just tinker around at it. And we came up with the Rebel Yell pickups. And yeah, so that's where that one started. So... Yeah, that was really exciting. And uh, we've been good friends ever since, you know, and uh, it, was, it was been a really good good thing. Cool, I suppose. And, and then it follows, I mean, looking at the other artists, of Ooh. which there's hundreds on your website, but, you know, I, I, I picked Ooh. these out. Um, uh, first one, Bruce Dickinson. Oh, yeah, yeah, because Bruce. We, we did, a, we did, we did a, a double podcast with Bruce uh, before Ooh. Christmas. Only because he yacked on for so long yeah. that we had to cut it in half. Um, 
And and is, is Matt Bellamy and, and Johnny Marr? Because was the Johnny Marr the thing that got you Fender, into Fender? Yeah. So the guy that looks after Johnny's guitars is a guy called Bill Puplet. Um, Bill is kind of like uh, Fettler to the stars, if you like. He's an incredible guitar maker, um, but he also looks after a lot of um, very famous people's guitars. Of you know people like. Mark Knopfler, people like that. And um, very quiet, unassuming guy. We'll refer to him as um, Uncle Bill here. But uh, but anyway, um, I got to know Bill through Seth Backus, Backus Guitars, back when yeah. Seth worked at Manson's Guitar Shop. So it's all quite incestuous. Mm. So Seth had a lot of time for, for Bill, and Bill was old friends with Andy Manson and stuff like that. So anyway, it wasn't long before Bill was phoning me up saying, yeah, I've got to pick up here and uh, needs a bit of sorting out. He'd never say who it was from, but you always knew it was from somebody pretty famous. Occasionally I'd dig it out of him, you know. And <laughs> uh, and um, so it, I got some Jag pickups sent down. To, to rewind and did them, sent them back. And he phoned me up and said, look, uh, Johnny really, really liked that. So I said, Johnny who? He said, well, Johnny Marr. I was like, oh, right, wow, wow, that's cool. And he said, um, "I'm Johnny's getting a signature guitar made by Fender. And he wants those pickups in it. And I said, well, great. I said, Fender will never go with that. I mean, what, me make their own pickups for them? <laughs> <laughs> but they did. Johnny just put his foot down and said, nope, Tim's going to make the pickups for, for that. So I was like, wow, that's fantastic. So sure enough, we got the first purchase order come through. 300 sets of Johnny Marr coils. So we'd done some special little things to them that Johnny wanted because he wanted to use a four-way switch in, in his Jag and so on and so forth. So we had to sort some polarity things out. And I done a little bit of degaussing of the neck coil and all sorts of little tweaks. So I insisted on making this first 300 myself. I, I wouldn't let anybody near the job. I did the whole thing. I made all the formers. I wound the whole bloody lot, potted them all, even packed them, literally did the whole, the whole thing and sent them off. And I thought, well, that's great. Done it. Thinking that there probably wouldn't be any more. You know, I thought, well, that's 300 guitars, signature guitars. I don't know how many they'll sell. You know, it's a very specific type of guitar. Well, where are we now? Ooh, 10, 11, maybe 12 years on from that. We mm. must have made close, well, well over 10,000 sets now. Christ. <laughs> since then. I mean, an order came through just... The other day, another 200 sets. I was like, crikey. It must be one of the most successful signature guitars I've ever done, I'd have thought. It just... I think the, the nice thing about it is it's clearly a signature guitar. I mean, a lot of them are just, well, we just painted it red and put mm. the signature on it. But, you know, the fact that Johnny actually insisted upon different pickups and stuff does make they, it... They, they designed a new bridge. You know, he, he got rid of, you know, where they, the way the switches are. You always end up turning mm. yourself off if you're not careful when you're strumming and all that. He sorted it all out. 
They even did some tweaks to the body shape. They really did go to town on it. And John, Johnny's completely obsessive about tone. He's always capable of creating an incredible sound with, with whatever he's working with. And, um, yeah, he'd phone me up every now and again and just give me some pointers as to what he wanted when I was doing these repairs and things. But from mm. there on, yeah, he just put his foot down and said, no, Tim's going to make the pickups for this guitar. And, yeah, they went with it. And that's how that one came about. And we've been doing it ever since. And then there's, there's Ibanez as well. Yeah. I, I, because Ibanez, well, I say Headstock, are actually only based sort of like um, eight miles from where I am right mm. now. So, uh, you know, um, pre-pandemic, I'd go over and have uh, Chip Friday. Yeah. Uh, with them uh quite often and uh, i can remember them um I, you go into their board i don't know if you've ever been you go into their mm. boardroom and it's just you know wall-to-wall mm. guitars sort of thing and they're like oh, have a look at this one this one's got bare knuckles in like, really? yeah. Uh, yeah so that 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 was a another interesting one they reached out to me to, i forget what it was 2010 something like that and said we want to put your pickups in this range of guitars. And I was like, wow, that's, that's great. But the price point of the guitar was about 500 pounds at retail. Uh, so I went back to them and said, you do realize that the actual pickups would probably be worth more than that. You know, so if it's 500 pounds at retail, the guitar is probably going to have a trade price of around about 300 pounds or something. You know, people would be buying the guitar, throwing the guitar away and keeping the pickups. And um, there are, so once we got through the, the various sort of price point things, they said, right, we're going to come over and meet you. We want to, we'd, we'd like to meet who we deal with. And um, so I thought, right, I can't see that happening. I said, I'm in Cornwall, I'm rural Cornwall, you know. <laughs> They're like, fine, it's okay, we'll, we'll fly to London and we'll find our way. I was like, right, okay. Well, sure enough, um, on, on the day they said they'd appear, I was out in the lane, out in rural Cornwall, out in Constantine, where we used to work, and these two dudes walking up the road, I was like, damn, you found it. And they came up and uh, shook hands and exchanged business cards, and they said, we just had a very acceptable soup in the pub. And I was like... Right, you. Wow. So, anyway, I I said, look, before we go in, this isn't all sort of white walls and people in lab coats and stuff like that. This is basically an old wooden workshop. We're packed in like rats, and this is how we work. And they said, no problem, you know. And uh, it was one of their head A and R guys, and one of their the, the, the main design engineering guys came over and they went in and they were just blown away by it. They said, this is just such a creative way of working. They said, we just wish we could work like this. They said, you know, there are still elements of this in some of the mountain workshops in Japan, but they said, we, you know, we don't work like this at all. And they were just marveled at the fact that we were making everything completely by hand. Nothing was automated you know, the only automated thing was the motor in the winder. Everything else mm. has been done completely by hand. And we went down to my studio. They did a presentation. Um, 
computer of what they were looking for. And we talked <laughs> it all through. And that started um, uh, us making pickups for a prestige series called the Uppercut series. So they got completely behind it. You know, even named it something to do with boxing and their advertising pulled us in completely. You know, they completely, they didn't underplay it at all. And it was just, wow, you know, they're just taking us on as equals. It was absolutely fantastic. So that ran for a couple of years. And I got back in touch with them and said, was that successful? And they're like, it was really successful. And I said, well, not being funny, but we're in business. Let's do it again. You know, this is what being in business is about. If something is good, yeah. what else can we do together? And they said, well, okay, leave it with us. And they came back and, well, we make thousands of pickups for Ibanez now. You know, it's the, the runs, you know, are in the hundreds and hundreds of sets that we do. And we're in various ranges, some of the, the top ranges and We've even got them using boot camp now in some of their sort of midpoint ranges and their support has been fantastic. And uh, it's, it's just been a really, really good relationship. You know, we always make sure we hit hit their lead times. That's the most important thing. You know, when you're dealing with mm. the big OEM guys is they're going to have a production line. They need their kit exactly when they, they want it. They can't, otherwise they've got all these guitars just laying there. So we're very particular about that. And yeah, that's how that one came to be. So, cool. so Ed, um, the final question I got really was about boot yeah. camp, um, because that's your kind of uh, uh, entry yeah. point into okay, the brand. So the the idea behind boot camp was to try to address the problem of people being scared to get engaged with bare knuckle. I felt a few years ago that we got to a stage where we could almost be viewed as maybe being not elitist, but you had to be really good to use bare knuckle. And that mm. was kind of going against what I started from. You know, I just want everybody to be able to play and engage with guitar. And one of the things I was picking up on, excuse the pun, was the fact that people were looking at it and thinking, well, there's a lot in the range I'm not sure I understand where I am, even with some guidance. And I don't know if I'm worth this. So I thought what I need is a foundation product, uh, sort of product, really. Something that welcomes you into the family, takes care of a lot of the decisions and mm. simplifies it. Let's just get you in, get you going. Also, you know, a lot of professional players don't really want to have all the wonderful custom finishes like i just need you know a medium output whatever voiced pickup i don't care what the color is you know give me black yeah. you know so i thought right that's where boot camp came from you know boot camps where you go to do your basic training and i thought right this this is a good concept i like this let's get the basics done so i thought humbuckers strats tellies p90s most people could probably identify just looking at a guitar. Well, have I got that one, that one, that one, or that one? Okay, first decision made. Yeah. Done. Okay, I've got humbuckers. Right. Now, with humbuckers, what I did was, and all the others, I just put them into three output groups, if you like, 
low, medium and high. Where do you think you are? Do you think mm. you're low output, medium? Yeah, it's a relatively simple decision to make. Great. OK. So I then gave those names, old guard, true grit and brute force. Just something to identify them with. Right. I'm in the middle. True grit. Great. Decision made. Now, the humbuckers, they're either black or zebra. Which do you like? You've only got two choices. And then stuff like the leg, conductor, it's all fixed. They're all short leg, they're all four conductor. So you don't have to worry about any of that. The only thing you need to know about that is vaguely technical is the spacing. So if it's standard, which is yeah. a lot of guitars, or if you've got a tremolo, you want a wider spaced. Um, then if we did the same with covered options, just nickel or gold, there you go. So it's very, very basic. Get you in, get you going. Well, I started on True Grit. But actually, I think I, I feel now that I'm a bit more confident. Maybe I want more output. I'm going to move up to brute force. Or I'm even more confident. And I, I think I'm narrow it down even further. I'm looking in the main range now and I'm getting to more specifics. Yeah. It's kind of welcome to the world of bare knuckle. There's all this up here. But if that's too much, we've got this down here. And just that might be enough for most, for most players. And that was the whole idea. Just get you going. And has it been very successful? successful? Yeah, yeah. And because there are very few options, it means we can make them in a production line. You know, we can make them so much quicker. Um, if you compare to, say, one of the regular range pickups, where we don't know what it's going to be until the order comes through. You know, it could be a holy diver with one pink bobbin, one lime-coloured bobbin, yeah. black bolts, burnt chrome slugs. You can't make stock for that it's impossible you have to wait for the order to come with boot camp you say right i'm gonna make a hundred old guard sets today in black and a hundred in zebra they can go it can be boxed ready to go and that means we can bring the price point down so it's more accessible in terms of price there's fewer options if you want all the options go up to the regular range there's still choice there and that was mm. the idea yeah. Cool. And, and also to be able to give retailers something to stock because something that a lot of the retail stores said was we don't know what to stock because until the person comes in and asks, we don't know. But then we've got nothing to show yeah. them. So I was like, right, OK, I can I can kill quite a few birds with one stone with this if, if I'm clever. And so I can give the retailers something to put on the shelf. Go, well, I've got this. You want to get going straight away? Or now we're talking about these. If there's something specific when going to the big range. And, uh, mm. and that's worked really, really well. And also as a, an OEM product for a lot of um, companies, the price point works with, with some of their ranges that they want as well. They don't want all the bells and whistles. I just want black humbuckers. Great. Well, go boot camp. You know, they're great sounding yeah. pickups. Sa it's all the same components. It's still me and the boys making them. Same winders, same everything. You know, it's 100% it's yeah. bare knuckle. It's just I've taken away a lot of the choices, you know, and just stripped mm. it down to just doing what it says. Awesome. 
I, I, I'm out of questions, Ant. Have you got anything? I, I've just been I've just been sat listening. It's been absolutely fascinating, really has. And and uh, having had a route around your website as well, I think the way you present yourself is is fantastic. In Thank terms you. of the descriptive nature of, of 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 the pickups, in terms of what you've done with boot camp, I think it's really really. Uh, guitarist friendly, really people friendly, which I think is 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 brilliant because I'm absolute with with you. And I don't, I mean, I've been around the music industry for a long time, and this is not, you know, I've done various products, and one of the biggest issues our industry have has is that everything's tech and spec led, mm. and you get a whole list of specs, and that's great if you're into that level of detail, but if you if you aren't, it's so off putting. Yeah, abso- absolutely. What you, I think what you've done is just is just so refreshing, and I think it's it's you know it's exactly the way it should be. Yeah. And by linking to songs or by linking to artists, that's the bit. Most people, if you ask them, they'll tell you who they want to sound like mm. or what song they want to sound like. That's their reference points. Mm. And I think to take that on board is just amazing. So, uh, so I, yeah, I've just I've just literally kicked back and had a great listen. To be honest, I think it's I think it's I think it's been great. It's just been I've been like the guy who's got to listen to the podcast first. So, uh, so, so it's been fab. Um, you know, I think be quite what would be really nice, and hopefully we can do this on a different day. Would be to get you on with one of the artists that you've worked with, oh, yeah, and cool, talk yeah. through that collaboration. Mm. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean something like. The, the journey that, you know, Misha and I went on, he, he was, you know, when it came to doing a signature product, it was very different to working with Steve. I mean, Steve was touring so hard at the time. It was literally a case of, right, he's in the UK. I'd have to drive to a venue and we'd yeah. talk backstage, work on a guitar or what have you. The rest of the time, Steve's very hands-on as well. You know, he's good at his own teching so I could send him stuff and he could do it with Misha Misha wanted to be hands-on with me so he literally flew over and we did it together and that's the way we've worked on both of his pickup sets and um, Mm. that that was a totally different journey and it's a it's a long old story and you might want to do it in a, in, a, in a different podcast because it is very interesting and uh, subsequently then rolled that out with uh, Rebea um, and Josh from North Lane and uh, all these other guys but doing it you know face to face is a lot of fun it really is well I think we'll we'll definitely revisit that because I think that would make a fascinating you know to do something that specific with with you know, with with somebody you've worked with, I think mm. would be great. So, mm. uh, if you can find us a bit of time in the future, I think we'll we'll yeah. pursue that one. Yeah, certainly. You know, and <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah I'm, I'm sure in your podcast with Misha, he probably explains a, a little bit of what he went through with us. Yeah, and, you know. So uh, yeah, it was a yeah, it was really funny. I don't, I don't think that Misha quite expected um, the podcast that he got. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I think the first question was about. Um, the petition for him um, to present Top yeah. Gear, <laughs> and, it, and it and it descended he from there. Have, really. He would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Right, well, listen, Tim, that has been brilliant. Thank you very much. No worries uh, at and all. Of course, bear in mind, for the first time ever, we've recorded at nine thirty in the morning. We can all go about our day now, yeah, can't we? I'm not go. used to. 
finishing at nine forty-two and still having the day left. <laughs> well, you go back out running now. You see, it's a bit warm. Oh, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> hang on a minute. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Tim, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, thanks uh, for having thank me you on. Very much for your time, Jace. Lovely yeah, to see you. you. Uh, and we'll see everybody again uh, very soon. Cool beans. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.